We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone. I just wanted to check in with you before this episode began to let you know that this is our extra Reddit mailbag episode that was recorded a few hours before Igor Kokoshkov was fired. So there's no mention of that in this episode, but there is a question about it where I assumed he would not be fired, so feel free to laugh at me for that. Other than that, everything is still relevant, so take a listen. Here we go. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. My name is Mike Hill. I'm here with my co-host, Sam Cooper. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Mike. Uh, I'm excited to do a mailbag today because I don't think we've done one since the beginning of the season, possibly like eight months ago. It's been ago. a long time. Yeah. It's been a long time. And we, and we reached out. We, we, we got in touch with our roots with the Reddit community <laughs> to get these questions for us. So thanks to the Reddit community for producing this episode for us. And we thought since we had questions from Reddit, we would bring a Redditor on with us, somebody who's also a mod in the Suns community. The Reddit user Tizdu is here with us. Tizdu, how are you doing? Great, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. Excited for you to be here. I hope that you can help us, of course, answer some of these questions and just kind of hang out with us for this hour here. Um, And hopefully we'll have a good time. Uh, We'll get into the questions in just one second. I wanted to cover an article that the Bright Side of the Sun just posted about the details of the Sun's arena improvements that are planned because um, we've been following the story uh, since the beginning of the story, really, and, and talking about the plans for the arena improvement. We've been personally invested in the idea of a new practice facility, of course, 
And uh, there's some more details that came out now, so I just wanted to cover it before we get into the questions since you know there wasn't any questions about this arena improvement. So a couple of interesting things. Not a lot of information on this arena improvement, but I wanted to cover what is here. Uh, Auckland will be the construction manager for the project. That's somebody who apparently works on the Vivint Smart Home Arena, the renovations for the Utah Jazz. HOK, apparently another company that also uh, worked with the Atlanta Hawks State Farm Arena upgrades uh, is also going to be on the project. Neither of those really matter to me, just kind of interesting details. Maybe if they matter to somebody listening, they could tell us why it matters, but it doesn't seem to be relevant to us. But the rest of it is kind of interesting. It details about $15 million are going towards the ADA upgrade, so the Americans with Disabilities Act. Uh, Apparently, fixing the entrances into the seating bowl. Something interesting about this is a few months ago, maybe about a year ago actually, there was somebody who posted online, a disabled person who posted online saying that uh, Talking Stick Resort Arena has been outside of the ADA guidelines for a long time. So it's this is, seems like a long time coming. It's been years apparently. And uh, they're fixing that, which is kind of nice. Of course, that was expected. Another $15 million will, will apparently be used to expand the upper and lower bowl concourses, which means the suites. Uh, another thing to be expected, a big part of the arena improvements was that the suites were not anywhere close to a lot of the rest of the NBA. So it sounds like they're improving those. $19 million is also earmarked for security and technology improvements. Kind of interesting. I don't know what that means because the next part says the upgrading mechanical, electrical, plumbing, communication systems will run about $100 million, but this technology improvement is separate. Maybe that's related to scouting. <laughs> Maybe this is what Stole my joke. Jones was talking Stole about. Stole the joke. I was, <laughs> it was, I was waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's just kind of, all of this is what has been told. So to me, this seems like um, it's not a conversation, right? What I mean by that is this information is good information and it helps us to understand what's happening it doesn't talk about a lot of what i want to know about though and what i want to know is where is the practice facility going to be i think that's interesting apparently phoenix is the only thing that's been told which is relevant because there's a lot of different places in the valley that it could be built can the team play in the arena while it's being upgraded that's something that was not covered uh in this and and there's just a lot of information another thing too is interesting to me will the seats be upgraded and this is something sam i know you've never been in the arena uh tis do have you i'm sure you've gone to a game right oh hell yeah yeah the seats are garbage i recently just sat in what was the upgraded uh, washington wizards arena and it felt like the difference between a luxury car and like a 1992 honda civic uh the differences were, were massive so there's just a lot of information currently missing from this i'm hoping that more information comes later on down the line uh but i guess we get a little bit for now oh and the last thing is the the renovations are planned to be completed this is the part that kind of sucks by 2022 so kind of a long time away um yeah not really going to be any sort of uh help to getting free agents or anything like that uh 2022 is a few seasons away but do you have any thoughts on this sam well 2022 just in time for the championship parade right so you know hopefully (laughs) hopefully the suns will be at that stage by then where they're getting guys like uh whoever in 2022 is the equivalent of signing demarcus cousins to a one-year four million dollar deal that's the the new renovations will help with that but in all in all seriousness i mean you called it i i haven't been in the arena before so i really don't know what it was like out of curiosity i'm i'm interested by that story about um the disability act is that something that you guys notice going to games or is or is that just something that was pointed out to you 
Um, those ramps were way too steep. It was bumming me out watching those poor people. Yeah, I've, I've, I will say I did not personally notice until this person. It was actually, I believe it was on Reddit, or maybe it was someone that reached out to me directly to to say something about this once we started covering the story. So I actually didn't notice um, until I was told about that, and then it seemed obvious. So that's a lot of money going towards those upgrades, and it's something that they have to do. I don't think that's a choice of theirs, but um, it is kind of interesting. You know, Sam, what you actually reminded me of just now when you made that championship joke is the first season the Suns actually played in this arena was the 1992-1993 season, the season that Charles Barkley joined. And uh, Charles Barkley never played in the Madhouse on McDowell, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And uh, they did go to the finals. So it is kind of interesting. Maybe what feels like 100 years later, uh, this team can actually be successful once the renovations are done. But do you have any other thoughts on and what was the arena called back then? What was the arena called? Uh-huh. I believe is that, that was the America West Arena, it right? Was. Yeah, America West Arena. Classic. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. yeah, those were the days back when the team was competitive year after year after year. <laughs> Uh, did you have any thoughts on this story, Tizdu? Um, well, it sounds like uh, they're going to have to shut off like whole wings of seats at different times throughout the next couple of years. So I'm wondering what the actual capacity is going to end up being. Um, it might be tough to get seats if we end up start winning games and then there's a whole section cut off here and there. I'm wondering how right. it's going to play out. Yeah, or even if they'd expand the seats, this is another thing that's kind of interesting. The size of people, let's just say, has grown since 1992, 1993. The seats are not very large, um, and I've seen people oh. sort of struggling to sit in them or get, or get out of them. Literally the size of people. Yes, literally yeah. the size of, like the actual <laughs> individuals <laughs> has grown in that time. And I do wonder if they will expand the sizes of the seats, which will limit the total amount of people in the arena. Of course, tickets will be more expensive in general, I think, once the arena is a little bit nicer. It sounds like the important stuff, like the electrical, plumbing, and communication systems, mechanical issues, that's all going to be fixed. That's all good news. So overall, it's all interesting news, but it's just not not a lot of information yet. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, when the rest of this is coming out. So well, real quick, as far as the seats go, um, the leg room is an issue at, at the arena, but I was at a Diamondbacks game uh, a couple weeks ago, and I couldn't believe how comfortable those seats are, especially kind of down in the lower level. You actually have leg room. It's like sitting in first class. It's incredible. So hopefully they find a way to expand <laughs> the area and uh, so we can get a little leg room while we're watching the Suns struggle. <laughs> the next- <laughs> <laughs> By 2022, we'll be good. Okay, all right. We better be good. Uh, yeah, God willing. <laughs> uh, I think that's a good point, though, because what I was looking at this sort of budget that they laid out, I just couldn't really find which one of these categories would actually fall into fixing the seats and the problems with the just the replacing the seats in general or expanding the the room or changing the structure of the arena at all and that's just none of that is really in there so i don't know i don't know what this is really going to look like and i hope some more information comes out soon what i really hope for is like a like an actual conversation about this where reporters can actually step in and ask the questions that need to be asked about this because right now it's it's just sort of a, a press release that's that's what it looks like it's not a lot of information but let's get into some questions that right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail with you all day, okay? All right, so shout out to everyone on Reddit who uh, stepped into the thread that Sam posted there and asked us some questions. Uh, lots of interesting stuff coming up. You know, the Suns are not playing right now. The playoffs are going on. Some interesting things happened in the playoffs in the last few weeks. Jared Dudley is now a star, apparently. <laughs> kind of nice. Um, but these are all good questions, and, and these are all... It's interesting to me that these questions were so focused 
on this offseason and what's coming up this offseason. Uh, you know, we've said it before, this offseason is, off is the most important offseason since the last offseason. And uh, <laughs> it's just, it is what it is at this point. This team is desperate to get better and these fans are zeroed in on what happens over the next few months. So let's start from the top. Stu Manchu 13 said, I think a lot of people are underestimating what it's going to take to get Drew, Drew Holiday. Uh, what kind of package do you think the Pelicans would be looking for from us for him? Uh, an interesting question. Obviously, Drew Holiday is somebody that the Suns, especially Suns fans, have been looking at as a potential to put next to Devin Booker for a lot of reasons. One, he's a, a bigger guard, not really a point guard, but can distribute the ball relatively well. But the main thing is, I think he makes up for one of Devin Booker's biggest weaknesses, which is, of course, defense. Drew is a great wing defender, somebody that can take the best guard on the other team so Devin Booker can kind of rest defensively and focus on offense. Um, this is an interesting question. David Griffin recently took over as the president of basketball operations for the New Orleans Pelicans and had some interesting quotes about trying to keep Anthony Davis. And if he does do that, maybe they keep Drew Holiday. But uh, Sam, let's start with you. What did you think about this question? Well, I mean, it, it was asked for a good reason because Drew Holiday is a great player and he'd be a fantastic fit next to Devin Booker. Uh, David Griffin recently said that Drew Holiday is a guy that he considers a, a foundational building block is the phrase he used. And I know that GMs aren't in the habit of undervaluing their players because certainly they want, wouldn't want to do that headed into the offseason. But I think it's kind of unlikely that uh, the Pelicans really look to unload him for at least not for low value. I think this one's actually interesting because someone responded with their trade idea in this thread. And I don't have the thread up here, so I don't remember what that username was. But I wrote it down that their offer would be TJ Warren, Josh Jackson, our first round pick, assuming it's not in the top two, uh, and the Milwaukee pick. And I think I agree with that assessment right there. Like That's basically as high uh, as I'd be willing to go for a guy like Drew Holiday, and yet I still don't know that that's actually enough that David Griffin would want to uh, sort of just completely gut his roster and, and go for a full rebuild. I'd be very surprised if Griffin uh, didn't try to fleece us. I mean, one of his first moves coming in as a, as a, the new GM, probably not looking to make any bad moves. Is gonna whatever he does is gonna be very calculated and considered very smart. Um, I was look, the guy who put that uh, trade proposal out was a guy named uh, Aether Forty Two who mentioned the Milwaukee pick and TJ and JJ. I'm totally on board with that too. I think we're gonna have to lose that pick. However, he says if it's outside of the top two, I'd probably be willing to hold on to the pick if it's top three, maybe even top four, but anything five, six, and seven, we have to move that for a pick. I'm, I'm sorry, I move that in some sort of trade, hopefully for Drew, but it's it's tough. I don't really see a whole lot of ways we can make that happen, especially if he's already talking about him being a foundational player, because that's tough to pull them away. I think that anytime guys like this are on the trade block, they end up going for less than people expect, to be honest. And I think that makes it less likely that he gets moved entirely. I agree with both of your assessments when David Griffin first shows up there. First of all, if he is planning on trading Drew, of course he's going to build his value by talking about him as a foundational uh, block for his team. So I don't really consider that a guarantee that he's not going to move him. I do think that he's trying to raise his value if he does end up moving him. And I do think there's a possibility that they try to keep him and he tries to convince Anthony Davis to stay. I just don't, I just think that's very unlikely to happen at this point. The entirety of the Pelicans fan base has turned on him and, uh, you know, wearing the, that's all folks at the last game of the season wasn't exactly a good look for Anthony Davis either. So I'd be surprised 
if he comes in and then immediately tries to keep a player that the entire fan base does not like anymore. I was trying to think of a similar player that was moved to Drew Holiday recently, and the one I came up with was Tobias Harris. Now, the the difference is Tobias Harris was an impending free agent, and I think that's Mm -hmm. a big difference in this scenario. But uh, he was traded for Wilson Chandler, Mike Muscala, Landry Shamit, Philly's protected first, and the Miami unprotected pick, which is who knows what that's going to be. I think that was an interesting like comparison for this because they're both good players, both players that could be on winning teams and winning situations, but neither have been all-stars at at this point of their careers. So I think that's a similar version of what could potentially be moved to get Drew Holiday. Uh, So if you think something maybe built around like TJ Warren as the potential player that could play right now, the Suns top pick, if it's outside of the top three, I tend to agree with Tizdu. One and two, obviously keep uh, three, I still think RJ Barrett is worth the risk to find out if he can be that guy. And, uh, if, if you want to do that, I say you keep that pick in that and, uh, in that way, but, uh, something around that. And then I think the Milwaukee pick is like an obvious throw in, uh, that you kind of start without that. And then you move towards that when the negotiations go on. But I just think it's very unlikely at this point. And if he does get moved though, I don't think that there's a lot of teams that are going to be willing to give up a lot more value than like a top seven pick in this draft that's a pretty high value thing so i think that actually it could get done if he does end up getting moved i just think it's unlikely that he gets moved well i mean what do you guys think about that do you think we undervalue tj a little bit because he's obviously about to come into his prime and he just kind of gets thrown on as the first name on all these potential trade talks is he smarter to hold on to and we find another way to get a, a trade done I think that's interesting. The The problem with TJ Warren is that he doesn't play a lot of games yeah, yeah, <laughs> at that's this point. Yeah, it, it's just I'm not sure that his value is at an ADR at this point. I think that it's more likely he's at the, the bottom of his value in mm. the past few years. The only difference is that he can shoot now, which is a massive thing, especially for he can a... really uh, shoot now. What the hell happened? Yeah, he can really shoot. He's also really good in transition. It really is the perfect kind of player to be put in an Alvin Gentry mm-hmm. system. And, uh, you know, he would fit really well on that team uh, if, assuming they were able to keep their stars, you know, but this is the problem is if they do end up trading their guys, they're likely going to bottom out entirely. And that means that even a guy like TJ Warren, who's still relatively young, might be a little too old for them. Maybe they want to go for the very bottom of the of the draft and, and try and try and get a, as high of a pick as possible. What do you think, Sam? Well, another thing that no one's considered yet is the angle of what does Drew Holiday actually think about all this? And I know he has two years left on his contract, so he's not exactly in a situation where he can force himself out. But depending on what the Pelicans pull in in a haul for Anthony Davis, you got to assume they go for prospects, young pieces, uh, players that are not going to allow them to win now. And so how far exactly is a core of a 28, 29-year-old Drew Holiday along with pieces like uh, you've got Julius Randle hitting free agency, you've got Darius Miller hitting free agency, Nikola Mirotic they traded. So it's gonna, the team is going to look something like Drew Holiday, Aitwan Moore, uh, mm. and, and a few top 10 picks, maybe like a few rookies if, if they uh, you know, pull in some stuff from Anthony Davis. That is not a winning team. And Drew Holiday is in his prime, uh, and, and he's probably going to be getting to that situation soon where he wants to be on a winning team because obviously the Pelicans didn't go anywhere this year. Again, it's not so easy for him to force himself out, but you know you could potentially see, depending on his demeanor, a type of Eric Bledsoe uh, on the Suns situation brewing there where eventually you might be able to leverage that against the Pelicans and, and get him for a lower value. I just don't know if that's going to happen this offseason. I think, actually, 
what you just brought up there is a really good point in that a lot of what happens with the Pelicans will depend on what they can get for Anthony Davis. Because if they end up getting back a guard that's a young, great player, maybe that's that, that won't mix well with Drew Holiday, which is actually kind of hard to conceive because Drew Holiday just kind of fits on every team, to be honest, because that level of defense on the perimeter is necessary. And if you can match it with an offensive output, then, of course, you're going to be relatively good no matter who you put them next to. He can play point guard. He can play shooting guard. So it's hard to picture uh, a, a version of that that wouldn't succeed. But if it's obvious that they have to go completely young, then Drew Holiday will be outside of that age range. Right now, he is 28 years old. He has two years left, and it's hard to believe they'll put a 30-year-old Drew Holiday next to a 22-year-old Lonzo Ball, for example. It's just a, kind of a hard thing to see happen. But, you know, we really don't know, and uh, I think it's going to be really... That's the the biggest domino to fall in this offseason, and I think that will trigger a lot of different moves. That, along with, of course, Kevin Durant potentially signing in New York, and who knows what else can happen with the Lakers. It's going to be uh-huh. a really weird offseason, right? Yeah. All right, next one. I'm going to guess this is L. Doozit. It's E1 Doozit. Uh, he said, excluding Zion and Jaw, who are your next five prospects in the draft this year and why? And then he said, I personally would like to trade the pick if it falls between three and seven. I'm open to being persuaded. I think this is a huge, huge, huge sentiment among Suns fans at this point, which I find interesting because, well, I, I understand why you would want to move the pick if it's between three and seven, but it's not guaranteed to get a great player. It's not guaranteed there's going to be a lot of players on the market this summer, but also if you can get a player that's, say, at Mikhail Bridges' level of of output on this team, and maybe we don't have to rely on him, like Mikhail Bridges started over 50 games for us this year, but maybe they actually come off the bench in a role that makes more sense. I just think moving that pick is not a guarantee, but let's Sam, let's start with you. Who are your next five prospects outside of Zion and Ja? Well, the only other two prospects I really like, uh, in that in that people are being talked, uh, sorry, that people are talking about with a uh, top ten pick are probably Darius Garland and Brandon Clark, both of whom we've spoken about on this podcast before. The thing is, I don't think the ceiling of either of those players is actually high enough to justify using a third overall pick on them. So, the next five on my big board technically is probably Jared Culver, R.J. Barrett, DeAndre Hunter then Garland to Clark, six and seven. And you really only take those last two if you get the sixth and seventh pick. So if you wind up with the third through fifth pick, I I honestly have no fucking clue what to do. I I would prefer to trade the pick because I I just think Jarrett Culver, RJ Barrett, kind of similar players, uh, DeAndre Hunter too. I I just don't see how any of those wings, especially the, the two former names who have struggled with efficiency all season long, how they would be able to make an impact on this team uh, in, in any sort of way within not, not even just next season, but maybe two to three years, they there, it's conceivable that they would have no positive impact on this team. And it's really hard to convince fans to get behind that right now. Uh, when you just won 19 games and and Devin Booker's about to enter his fourth season, fifth season, fifth season, sorry, (laughs) excuse me. Yeah. Fifth season, even scarier. Well, after the uh, the top three picks, after Zion, John, ja, R.J. Barrett, there is a drop off, and it's it's it barely interests me at all. And my big thing, as it probably is for all of us, is that we really want a point guard who can be a scoring threat. That's really just a missing piece on this team to take some pressure off Devin Booker. I don't really see that from like three to seven. I've been trying to work backwards because I'm I'm being a little pessimistic this year. But if we get the seventh pick, I just I just see nothing that blows my skirt up as far as a, a top ten pick. So. Um, I was watching a lot of tape on uh, or YouTube videos on uh, Jackson Haynes 
and he seems like he'd be a decent power forward. He's a big guy. He's almost seven mm. foot. Uh, I like his game. I saw a lot of holes in it. So um, I don't know. I'm kind of with uh, everything Sam said, to be honest. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I think Jackson is a guy that I think Mavs draft our friend uh, Rich uh, actually or liked as well. But I, I had the same five as you, Sam. <laughs> RJ Barrett, um, Jarrett Culver, Brandon Clark, Darius Garland, DeAndre Hunter, Hunter. Not necessarily in that order. But I actually do think that RJ Barrett, I, I, I just feel like there's a chance that he's really great. I, I think a lot of the games that he played without Zion Williamson uh, really showed what kind of player he can be in a team that has some open space to run. And maybe the Suns don't, but uh, you know, I just think that's a guy that you got to keep. And, and, you know, I, I just don't think this is a two player draft as much as a lot of people seem to boil it down to. I think there's a chance that RJ Barrett is as big of a star or a bigger star than John Moran. Mm, no, and I, I think that people are writing him. Yeah, I just think people are writing him off a little too easily here. I think that Jaw's not a guarantee. He's got massive defensive flaws, and I think people watched Trey Young this year and said, "Who cares? Trey Young's amazing." <laughs> but we haven't, you know, there's a lot to see with Trey and, Young's career yeah. left, and we just got to see that. And yes, Jaw is more athletic and and more explosive, and that can potentially lead to being a better defensive player. But he's still a really small guy, and I think R.J. Barrett is something that. Uh, I wouldn't be like super ecstatic, but I think that he could end up being a star in this league. And I think it's worthwhile to take it and figure that out. And I know that maybe Suns fans are a little tired of that, but that's just what it is. But beyond that, so if we're talking fourth pick and on, so much of what we do with that pick will be dependent on how we solve the holes that we currently have. If we have a trade lined up to create more cap space that allows us to solve our point guard and power forward problem, using free agency then we could potentially pick some like brandon clark for example if we fall to like the sixth or the seventh pick and we're picking someone that's a that's a potential role player on this team and we're not really necessarily just searching for a star and only a star i think it makes a lot more sense so it's really difficult to say what we're going to do in this draft i think that so much of what we do is going to be dependent on the kinds of conversations and, and that James Jones and who Jeff Bauer potentially are having sort of illegally, if you will, <laughs> against the rules, the back channel conversations to figure out what's a real possibility for this team in free agency. So I, I don't really know. I, I just don't think that it's a guarantee that the, the pick is just automatically traded unless we absolutely, absolutely need to create cap space because we're trying to get a star. Either way, I think uh, Brandon Clark's going to end up being a steal in this draft. He's dropped to like 12th. I'm looking at the list right now. Um, yeah. Someone's going to have a steal on, his, on their hands with Brandon Clark. He's the Mikhail Bridges of Probably. this draft, in my opinion. Yeah, I've said that before, too. He's, But, you know, what Suns fans are going to criticize specifically about Clark is his fit with Aiden, and, and that's just true. You can't play Brandon Clark 30 minutes yeah. his, his rookie year, but as a defensive player, he'd be... He's just... There's no way that Brandon Clark is going to be like Josh Jackson where having him on your roster forces you to lose games in your first two seasons. He's right. he's only going to make you better. How much better can he make you? That's the question. But he's going to stick around in the league for a long time as a role player. And honestly, for the Suns, a team with such a poor track record of development, there's something really appealing about taking a guy with a lower ceiling but a higher floor like Brandon Clark. Uh, but again, I, I only really consider that like a sixth or seventh pick scenario. Mm -hmm. uh, next question, actually dovetails nicely with this one it's from glow worms he said forget about the draft for a moment who are the best three point guards and power forwards we could reasonably get over the summer via trade or free agency that would make us competitive assuming we re-sign Ubre and holmes 
that was the part of the question that I was like, ah, shit. It makes it so much harder to figure out because there's just not a lot of cap space if you assume that we uh, re-sign Ubre and Holmes. It just limits you um, pretty dramatically. Yeah. Uh, Sam, what did you think about this? Well, just to quickly go through the numbers. So if you really want to re-sign Ubre and Holmes, even if you dump Dragon Bender, Troy Daniels, and Jamal Crawford, you're going into the offseason, and, and thanks to Dave King over at Brightside for these numbers, you go into the offseason with $7 million in cap space. That's assuming you get, uh, th- that's factoring in our rookie slot. So we'll know for sure what that number is after the lottery. Uh, but if they do end up getting the first or second pick, then you go in with about $7 million in cap space. There is a route to getting $20 million in cap space, but it involves you doing one of two things. Either you have to wave and stretch the final year of Tyler Johnson's contract, uh, in which case you spread that one year out over three years, and, and now you have some dead cap associated with you for the next couple of years, or you basically take TJ Warren's $12 million salary and just dump it. You find some team, maybe uh, you know a little bit more of a win-now mindset that's willing to give you a rookie contract player, uh, or just like a first round pick or a second round pick or something like that and just absorb that entire salary. So if you do one of those two things, you get $20 million. And yeah, I mean, at that point, we can start to talk about all sorts of names. I, I could send it back to you first. I mean, do you do you have favorite names for point guard or power forward? Because the options are okay, but they're not all that appealing, even if you have this much money. Well, if you talk about, well, first off, we, we can say trade is a potential here too. And if there is a massive trade, with the Lakers to get Anthony Davis, then we have to kind of butt our heads in there and see if there's any possibility of getting Lonzo Ball, first of all. Um, I think that he will potentially be moved this summer. It's a weird thing that's going on with Lonzo and his family, and also supposedly he tried to potentially get a surgery that was unnecessary to avoid being traded to the Pelicans. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's exerting a lot of control over his future and his destiny and who could blame him if, if you were in that position why wouldn't you try to do that too so there's Lonzo of course but the uh the other guys are a free agency there's Rubio there's Col- Darren Collison someone that you've mentioned a lot Sam and then of course there's Kemba Walker but we talked about the difficulty in creating the cap space for guys like that so none of them are super super exciting as far as um point guard goes and I and I feel kind of the same way mm-hmm. about power forward I think the name that seems to be coming up a lot is uh, Thad Young, uh, Thaddeus Young. So there's always a potential of Thad Young if if he's a guy that could be signed, you know, potentially for like. I, I it's just it's really difficult to figure out what these guys are going to make this summer. Like maybe he needs. I would say, I mean, probably yeah. less than that. Thad Young's a little older, but I think you've got Thad Young, Aminu, and Miritich as like a trio who are all going to make about the same amount of money in the power forward market. Like less than twenty million, they're going to make probably closer to twelve to fifteen. And then the next best power forward, or, or the best power forward probably then, is Tobias Harris. But Tobias Harris is going to make way more than $20 million, if you ask me. He's probably mm-hmm. closer to, to 25 So in order to get $25 million, you need to do more. You, you need to either trade TJ and wave and stretch Tyler Johnson, uh, or trade TJ and also cap dump Josh Jackson's salary. I mean, there are ways to do it. But to really get an all-star caliber player, like if you wanted to go out and sign Tobias Harris, you could do that, but it would come with a lot of sacrifice. Yeah, maybe even getting rid of Ubre at, at that point, to be honest, yeah. because they're, they, they're kind of overlapping skill sets. And, and um, you know, Tobias doesn't bring the same defensive uh, play, but he is a better offensive player. But Tizdu, did you have any ideas for this? I was going to mention Tobias Harris, too. You got to him, though. Um, I didn't know he was only 26 years old. He'd be awesome. Yeah. 
it is kind of crazy. He seems like he's been in the NBA for like 15 years. Yeah, and I, I was looking up, uh, I, I looked up Mike Conley. I assume Mike Conley was like 37 years old. He's only 31. I mean, he's been <laughs> forever. The agents always blow my mind. Yeah, we're going to get into Mike, Mike Conley a little bit more, I think, later. There's a question about mm-hmm. Mike Conley that's kind of interesting. But that's another guy. I think that he's a perfect fit if, if he could stay healthy and he wants to be here. Um, he's an awesome player. So that's that's actually a really good one because there's a potential that the Grizzlies trade. I think that's like one of the more likely guys that could get traded. I think the Lakers will definitely try and target him at that oh, point. Sure. Um, assuming a lot of what the, a lot of their plans kind of fall apart, which seems to be the case <laughs> at this point. Um, interestingly, but let's move on. We got a lot more to cover. Uh, the next question, Josh Jackson's numbers seem to have stayed the same or gotten worse since last season. Do you see a lot of value in continuing to give him minutes under the hopes of developing him? This is from poor Hector, a user on Reddit. Um, I'm almost a little tired of this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I Here's what I think. If Igor Kukoshkov can get more out of Josh Jackson than anticipated, just extend him for, for life because... At this point, Josh Jackson's problems are decision making and and feel for the game and and a lot of people think, oh, if he gets stronger, his finishing will will be great. Oh, it's like I don't, I don't really see that. I, <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure that that's his problem. I think he's got other problems that he needs to figure out. But Tizdu, what did you think? How do you feel about Josh Jackson? I don't think I know your opinion on him. I have a little bit of a spot, a soft spot for Josh. I wanted him before we even got our fourth pick in that draft. I was really into the guy. I um. The problem with Josh is when he when he when he's good, he's really good. And then when he's bad, it's just so glaringly awful to where I don't know. I, I I'm not I haven't written him off yet. I hope he can he can pull it together, but he has this issue where he doesn't really find a way to uh get up to snuff until really late in the season. And by then I think the fan base kind of makes up their mind about him uh on the whole for the season. And then he starts kind of, you know, uh, drumming up some great plays and some good games, and we start to get confused again. <laughs> That's my <laughs> back and forth with Josh Jackson. It's been that way for like two seasons now. Sam? You know my opinion. Is it even <laughs> worth saying? Josh, I mean, Josh Jackson's advanced numbers are, are historically bad. We've had this conversation before. Mm-hmm. For a guy through his first two seasons who, who gets this many minutes, and the odds of him coming back and, and becoming a decent player... I'm not saying he can't do it. It's just he would be defying those historical odds that say he's probably going to be bad because of how bad he is now. Now, I I think he can definitely get some playing time next year, but only if he deserves it. I'm so done with Josh Jackson getting like 25 minutes just for being a fourth overall pick. Like mm-hmm. it's it's time where you might need to throw someone ahead of him in the depth chart and if he's getting yes. if he's getting 20 plus minutes on opening night, then you just have to admit right there that unless he takes a massive leap that we're not anticipating, like De'Aaron Fox in Sacramento this year, where he went from really bad to really good, you're not going to be competitive again. It's just not going to happen. How do you feel from a chemistry yep. standpoint with Josh? I mean, he seems like, and you guys may, might know better than I do, but we've seen a lot of the Valley Boy stuff. We see a lot of these guys hanging out, and then we see Josh skipping autograph signings and having an attitude about it getting mm-hmm. leaked to the press and things. It almost seems like he's a little on the outs already. Yeah, I, I don't know. I The most interesting part of that story, well, the whole story was hilarious. The idea of buying beer to, to make a bunch of kids happy was funny. Uh, but, I mean, the most interesting part of that story was the idea that a whole bunch of things happen behind the scenes that we don't know about. And and players are constantly being fined for things that they do wrong. Um, I just don't, I don't really know. I, it's difficult to judge how he feels. I will say, 
from what I can tell, and this is from like Instagram and Twitter, they seem to be friends. Josh Jackson seems to be a guy that gets along with Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, oh, totally. Kelly Oubre, and all those guys. I think right now they're all uh, in Europe. I saw lots of um, interesting uh, Instagram stories from a Drake concert that Drake, uh, that uh, Devin Booker was at. I believe Josh Jackson was there. Jaleel Okafor was hanging out with them. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um I didn't know those those guys were close, uh, but yeah, it seems like they're all close and they're all friends. I I don't know. I I can't imagine that what you're talking about, Tizdu, made a good impression on management. But actually, to the point that Sam just made, the switch is flipped at this point, as as Robert Server liked to say before the season. And this team can no longer just give minutes to players in the name of developing, and that's it. We have to have players that contribute, and players need to earn their minutes on the floor at this point if we want to keep people like Devin Booker happy and fans interested. I, th- I just don't think we can endure another season of just continuing to give him minutes. I'm not ready for it, and I don't think anybody wants to see it anymore at this point. Agreed. We literally said this last year about Bender and Chris. <laughs> we literally said this entire <laughs> well, conversation actually, last year about Bender and Chris, and then, and then we just ended up ha- suffering through another season of it. Whoa, 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 though. Hold on. I, I have to look up the exact numbers. Dragon Bender got significantly less minutes this year, though. No, you're okay. You're right. You're right. <laughs> so, uh, although it, a lot of it had to do with injuries and the fact that there was just this massive glaring hole at power forward, but let me look at the totals here. Um, last season, he got 2,069 minutes, which is insane. It's completely insane. This year, he had 826 minutes total. So the, the, the difference in minutes was massive. If that's the kind of change that we see in Josh Jackson, and, and to that point, the reason he got more of those minutes at the end of the season is because Dragon Bender actually started playing like an NBA player. If that's what happens with Josh Jackson, then great. That would be awesome. Uh, even if it ends up being he's still on the fringes of the NBA. Uh, Sam, you posted, actually, I didn't even look at the results of this. You, you posted a uh, tweet that was like a poll about how Suns fans feel about picking up that option for Josh Jackson's last year. What what are the results in that currently? What what have you noticed from those results? Uh just under 200 votes right now. It's so it's an 8.9 million dollar option for Josh Jackson's fourth year. We need to decide on <sighs> it by the end of October. 9 million is like you can get a good player with 9 million. I posted that these are guys who signed for about 9 million dollars in free agency last summer. Jeremy Grant, Fred Van Vliet, Julius Randle, Montrez Harrell, Wayne Ellington, Nemanja Bjelica. Oh it's like you can get you can get a good role player for nine million. So this summer we need to decide if we think fourth year Josh Jackson is going to be worth that type of player if we just cut our ties. But anyway, the poll: sixty five percent of people would accept, and and thirty five percent say decline. Jesus, now I'm sorry, that's kind of nuts. Uh, I, I feel like this team would have won twenty five more games if we just replaced Josh Jackson with Montrez Harrell. <laughs> 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 Let's just move on. I'm tired of that conversation, like I said. This week in Suns history. Beautiful. It's maybe the loudest the Suns fan have been this year. On April 25th, 2012, Suns legend Steve Nash played his last game in Phoenix as a Phoenix Sun. Nash's career in Phoenix was remarkable, maybe the greatest Phoenix Sun ever. 
multiple trips to the Western Conference Finals, two MVPs, multiple 60-plus win seasons, and maybe some of the best teams the Phoenix Suns have ever had were led by Steve Nash. And Suns fans wanted to see him on the court one last time. 744th career game with the Suns. That's the third most all-time for Phoenix. He's the all-time leader in assists for the Suns. Just last weekend, became number five all-time in the NBA in assists, passing Big O. The fans still chanting, we want Steve here at U.S. Airways Center. The ending of Steve Nash's career in Phoenix was unremarkable to say the least. After multiple MVPs and some incredible seasons with the team, he was getting older and the team was in a different phase. But Suns fans wanted one last chance to cheer for him as a Phoenix Sun. And they got it, thanks to Alvin Gentry. The crowd roars as Steve Nash re-enters the game with 3.57 left. They've been calling for him. They'll get a chance to see him perhaps one more time as a son. Although Steve Nash ended his career somewhere else, he will always be remembered as a Phoenix Sun. So this week, take a moment to watch some Nash highlights. Remember his career here. Remember how fun it was to watch him. And remember how he defined what the Phoenix Suns were to every other NBA fan. Shout out to Steve. The greatest Phoenix Sun ever, in my opinion. Okay, we're back. Uh, let's see. Next question. Nima Mamudi said, what is your ideal offseason with draft, free agency, and any coaching staff changes? And then he signed off his name, Nima, at the end, which I loved. Uh, I thought it was funny, first of all, that he included any coaching staff changes. Uh, I didn't. I just kind of ignored that because I just assumed that's not going to not gonna happen at this point with, um, with Luke Walton signing in Sacramento, something that I didn't see coming, of course, but just an interesting change there. Ideal offseason, I think that I can boil it down pretty easily. Uh, Zion, <laughs> that's the main thing for me. And if you get Zion, maybe Kemba Walker at that point, you kind of can go like bigger fish hunting because, uh, you know, Zion is a guy that I think a lot of players might want to actually attach themselves to, uh, if he's that guy, you know, he could be, he could be that good. And Kemba Walker would be a nice fit. A guy who can shoot threes, shoot off the dribble, run, pick and rolls, uh, be a nice fit next to Devin Booker. And at that point, if that happens, if you can get Kemba and you can get Zion, then you shop basically everyone except for Booker and Aiton for shooters. And you just try and fill out the rest of your depth with three point shooters and see what happens, uh, at that point. But, uh, Tizdu, what do you think? Um, I've, I'm kind of leaning towards Ja over Zion only because I have that sort of pessimistic outlook where when someone who's that strong and goes that hard on that heavy of a body, I just see devastating injuries, uh, and hopefully not, but I see devastating injuries in, in Zion's future. I just, I just don't see those knees holding out much longer than his rookie contract. Um, and I think Ja, and I'm so obsessed with the idea of a, a scoring threat point guard that I think it would just take our team to the next level. So I'm all, I'm all in on Ja. 
Um, I obviously would not turn down Zion in a million years. He's incredible to watch. And he's totally box office, too. He would boost our our ticket sales. He would boost free agent interest. He would just be so great for us. But as far as our a team goes and building for the future, I would probably go with Ja. I don't see any coaching staff changes either. I know you kind of skipped over that. Maybe in a, a different assistant or some different you know ancillary coaches, but nothing major. I think Igor is a smarter coach than we have seen him um, put out on the, on the court yet. It's because of personnel. Um, but I think he's going to be just fine with uh, moving forward for us. I agree with both of those. Um, either of those are fine. You could build a good team with Ja and then like Tobias Harris at Power Forward. You could create that cap space. Uh, you could mm-hmm. build an awesome team, obviously, Mike, with Zion and Kemba. Uh, and then, yeah, I just want shooters. That's the only thing I would add is we're going to lose Troy Daniels. We need shooters. We're the worst three-point shooting team in the NBA right now, and neither Zion nor Ja fixes that. So it's just important to somehow find the wherewithal to, whether it's through trades or, or through small free agent signings. There are a couple guys I looked at on the wing, uh, like Darius Miller from the Pelicans or, or Wayne Ellington, who are just career good three-point shooters that you could go out and get for not too much money. Uh, and, and so that's those are the sort of signings that need to be taken care of sort of maybe in like late July or early August. Uh, but obviously the draft and, and then the big fish is uh, what we're talking about for probably a while here yeah i think if you even if if you get zion like if there's an absolute guarantee that you get zion then you take huge swings like you you potentially uh try to get like kevin durant that's that's when you actually try and set up a meeting there and sell him on the future of joining up with devin booker deandre ayton and zion williamson because that's a pretty enticing thing to do at that point i'm not saying that he would i think that he wants to go somewhere where he's like a guaranteed superstar and the the head of the team. But that's just the kind of future that Zion brings that other players just don't. And and how good he is off uh, defensively and the kind of holes that he fills, no matter the team that he's on. I love what Kyle said on our last episode where he called him the symbiote that, from uh, Marvel, where he just fills all the gaps and he, he just makes everything better. Um, that's a really good way of putting it. Before we move on to the next question, I just wanted to... Sam just said Troy Daniels is gone, just as if that was a guarantee, and I wanted to read why. Now, I know not everybody on that listens to this podcast follows me on Twitter, so I just wanted to read some quotes from an athletic article that, that were from Troy Daniels that pretty much, in my opinion, guarantees that he's going to be gone. Um, he said, I actually learned a lot about myself. This season obviously didn't go the way we wanted it to go. Me being patient throughout the whole year, it's been tough. It's been hard. I kind of make it look easy sometimes, but it's tough as a basketball player and as a man. Just knowing there's a light at the end of the (laughs) tunnel, that's the part part that gets me. Knowing everything is not always going to be like this, wherever the time comes, uh, where the light is, enjoy it because I've seen the other side. And the Suns, in my opinion, are the other side of uh, the the good side of that. Troy Daniels was was born in in darkness. He's been molded by this experience (laughs) and he's ready to come out the other side. The next quote to me was directly related to his free agency where he said, every team needs a shooter. You can get paid quite a bit of money if you can play D, LOL, and shoot the three. (laughs) I'm not going to say I know I have a job, but my talent and what I do translates throughout the league. Wherever I'm at, as an unrestricted free agent, I hope it's a good spot or that I'm back here. That's where he was like, oh, shit, I forgot. I'm talking to a Suns reporter. Uh, I've just got to give it my all every day. So shout out to Troy Daniels. I feel really bad for him. I think he should have played a lot more this year. It's really unfortunate yeah. that he only got like 50 games or whatever he ended up playing. Okay, next one. Let's see. What kind of guests do you guys have planned for some future episodes? This is from Brass Monkey Chunky, <laughs> a Reddit user. 
Um, well, I guess I can start that one. Tizdu, I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on that, but I'll start it. So guests are not really up to us. We've reached out to a lot of people that just completely ignore us, which is fair because why would they respond to us? I would love personally to have a former player or a current player um, on this offseason. I thought it was really cool to get Rashawn Holmes's mom, uh, Dr. Lydicia, uh, on for the Christmas episode. That was really awesome. I, other than that, I think it would be really cool to get some journalists on that cover the Suns like nationally. We've talked about KOC in the past. Um, Lindsay Smith would be cool. She's one of the people that covers the Suns here. Um, I thought about Rex Chapman would be a really good guest. He's got a really interesting story to tell. Pat Burke, Jared Dudley, that would be an awesome one. Alan Williams, I think, would be a really fun one. Um, those are all people I've thought of. Obviously, like Devin Booker, Kelly Oubre, those would be amazing. But uh, you know, those are the those are some guys maybe that are a little bit more achievable uh, in that list. There, if you guys have any ideas or, or people that you know that would be good guests, let us know. But Sam, what do you think? Yeah, it's just so much easier to get media members than people who are actually. Uh, players. So I'm right there with you. I hope we get some former players. But I do think we are going to have uh, some much more interesting guests on the horizon. So I would just say stay tuned. More interesting than me? Please. <laughs> <laughs> We're also going to. Do you have any people that you'd like to hear with us, Tizu? Anyone that you think we should get on? Uh, I got. Uh, I slide into Lindsey Smith's DMs occasionally. Let's we'll see uh, what I can do. <laughs> no, um, I worked out the hall from, uh, from, from Fox Sports, and I know they have a lot of contacts. So um, I got to find a, a clever way to sort of uh, finagle an interview that would end up on a podcast but under the ruse of it being for the actual radio station I work at. Um, <laughs> so uh, give me a little bit of time because I definitely want to help you guys out and, uh, and um, oh. see what I can get done. Um, we'll have to brainstorm and maybe have a plan of attack for one specific uh, person that works over at the Suns. And then uh, we'll just go hard on it and see if we can make it happen. Well, hopefully Kelly Oubre works on the Suns next season because that would be awesome. <laughs> all right, next one. And first of all, thank you, Tizio. It's nice of you to, to, to actually say that. Oh, thank me. Yeah, I am going to try, I promise. You don't have to, but I appreciate it if you do. Next one, a hilarious Reddit username, Funky Flapsack. <laughs> he said, if we land Zion, A, which free agent or trade should we pursue? And B, how do you see him and Aiton fitting together on the floor? Another common topic of conversation uh, around Suns Twitter, Suns Reddit, and everything, uh, uh, conversations around the Suns. So, Sam, let's start with you. What do you think of that question? Uh, Aiton needs to start shooting threes. He just needs to. Mm -hmm. You can't tell me. If Alex Len can become a 36% three-point shooter overnight with Atlanta, you can't convince me that Aiton can't do the same thing next year, given you know, that he already showed his range in college. So I really think he's capable of doing it. He doesn't need to become Brooke Lopez. And I also think that if Aiton does start shooting threes, he's not going to be uh, a 40% three-point shooter, certainly not even necessarily going to be a 35% three-point shooter overnight. So his true shooting percentage, his overall efficiency might go down, but at the cost of creating more spacing for Devin Booker and Zion Williamson, and I think improving the efficiency uh, of the entire team. Uh, but overall, I, I don't know. I just think it would be kind of a weird season for Zion. Like, if you think about the ways that he scores his points right now in college, he destroys opponents in transition, and I think he'll continue to really make that his bread and butter. Like, he'll destroy opponents in transition in the NBA as well. Uh, but the post-ups, those are going to be a little bit harder. The spot-ups, obviously, he's that's like his one main area of weakness. He didn't run much pick-and-roll action at Duke, either as the role man or as the ball handler. So I think it's mostly going to be like he's going to be operating in this position where he's scoring in transition, uh, getting offensive rebounds and putbacks, 
uh, or like operating as a cutter. I think like an intriguing offensive strategy would be you're just running a Booker eight and pick and roll and you position Zion on the weak side as a cutter and then he can cut in. He can either get the pass from Booker or he can go for the offensive rebound or you could have Aiton uh, sort of slide out to the three point line if he starts to trust that shot a little bit more uh, and that creates even more spacing. So I don't know. I think those are some options, but I do think it would definitely be an adjustment. And um, yeah, I think it would be worth it, though. What about the first part of that question? Which free agent or trade would you pursue if you did end up with Zion? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, okay. So you need a point guard. Uh, obviously, I would just go for a, a veteran, any veteran point guard you would get. I mean, would it be great to have Kemba? Yeah. Uh, but I think probably not Ricky Rubio. Honestly, Ricky Rubio is probably too bad of a shooter at that point that I wouldn't want him anymore. Yeah. It, is it yeah. too much of a meme if I just keep saying Darren Collison? Like Darren Collison would no. be a good point guard if you strike out on Kemba and you have Zion. He's good at running the pick and roll. I don't think that's a crazy one. Um, I think that one actually makes sense. Uh, Tizdu, what do you think? Uh, kind of going with Sam's point a little bit. I think that part of the reason I'm more into Ja um, technically than Zion is just because of the fit and how Zion would have to adjust his game in order to kind of to kind of fit. Because all the, all the ways you brought up how he scores, that was actually uh, a great point. I didn't even think about that. He's his game would have to adjust, and he probably wouldn't be able to be as big and flashy and he'd probably have to pass a little bit more and, and and slash and kind of drive for the hoop and then find an open guy. I think his game would have to adjust a little bit. And it's always tough for me because will he thrive after that adjustment um, or will it affect his game too much where he kind of disappears a little bit? I can't imagine Zion ever disappearing, but it kind of worries me a little bit how much his game would have to adjust. And also, um, I 100% agree with eight and shooting threes. Even if it's only like three threes a game just to space the floor a little yeah. bit. It's it, that's all we would need. There just needs to be a perceived threat out there, and right now there's not. Exactly. Right. Uh, just a couple things on Zion, real quick. Zion's amazing. I feel like you guys are kind of selling him a little bit short here. Here's <laughs> here's the thing about Zion. He is he is a star, but part of what makes him incredible is he plays like he's an effort guy. He plays like he's a guy off the bench that needs to give it all a hundred percent of the time in order to stay on the floor, and he yeah. doesn't. And that's the thing. He's the type of guy that could get 20 points easily without running a single play for him. He's a supercharged Sean Marion. He's a supercharged Josh Jackson. He's a, he's like if Josh Jackson was bigger and actually good at everything. I, I think that his ability to fit into an offense on a team is actually underrated at this point because people are just kind of picking him apart because of the amount of hype that he's gotten. Sure. He could fit in onto this team offensively immediately in that Josh Jackson role. And I actually think he'll shoot threes. He's not exactly a three point shooter, but he'll shoot threes similar to a guy like Josh Jackson. And I actually think he'll be fine. I think he would be fine. I think he'd be an awesome cutter. I also think he can run pick and rolls, which is incredible. He did it all the time on Duke. And if he's running a pick and roll, with DeAndre Ayton as the screener, one of the best screeners in the NBA this year, that's going to be an incredible play to run with a guy like Devin Booker spotting up in the corner and Zion's ability to pass basically over anyone in the NBA at a speed and an accuracy that would get an open shot. I just think I think he's incredible, and I think we're I think we're underselling him a little bit at that point. I actually like the Sean Marion comparison more. Yeah. I mean I really like that. That's what he is. That's, Supercharged that's what he Sean is. Marion. Like he'll, he'll become better than Sean, obviously, later in his career. But just starting out where Devin Booker is the guy next year, Sean Marion might be exactly what we see Zion Williamson as. He'll get 20 yes. points per game, but he'll do it all in transition and on putbacks. Yes, exactly. And that's to me, to me, it's just not, you don't even have to feature him. You should, 
but you don't have to. He's the type of guy that's going to fit on no matter what the team that he's on. He's going to be excellent and and i like i wouldn't be disappointed with john morant but i would be you know like i want zion i just think he's gonna be incredible um but yes i think sam the point you made i think is correct uh he needs shooters around him to to really maximize his potential because his ability to get to the rim his ability to attack in transition uh the spacing i think matters a lot for him and yes that makes a difficult fit with deandre ayton but i think over time i don't think it would be Uh, i think it might be a little clunky at first because they have to get used to playing together but like ayton's played with another big before he did that in arizona and uh, and zion is just so unique and so fast and he's so good at cutting around players and his ability to move laterally is unlike any anybody at his size i think they would be fine um but yeah kemba obviously i think is the best option if, if we do get zion but uh, yeah. beyond that uh i think you make you literally make everyone available to try and put the right guys around zion and booker maybe maybe that even means trading ayton i hate to even say that but you get a guy like zion it might be worth it depending on what you can get back in return. Okay, next one from Dynamo Process. He said, what are the chances that if we get the number one pick, that dead shit Sarver <laughs> takes Morant over Zion? Sorry, Tizdu. <laughs> I don't think you, no, you advocated no, no. that. That's but. the number one pick. <laughs> number one is Zion. Yeah. I'm just dead yet, for sure. Yes, no, I know what you. I actually, I know exactly what you mean in that this team just needs a point guard so bad, and it has a legacy of good point guards that you, it's just you want a point guard, and I feel that way sometimes too. Um, he says he feels like it's about fifty fifty because Sarver is one of those morons that thinks he knows better than anyone else. I'm terrified of it happening. <laughs> zero chance, absolutely zero chance that that happens. Zion is a money maker that Sarver will completely love. I don't think there's any chance. What do you guys think? Same, agreed. All right, let's move on. Thunder Bob Marley said, hey, guys, love the show. Thank you. Shout out to your username. That's like a legendarily good username. Uh, he said, what would it take this offseason for the Suns to improve by 20 wins? Uh, 39 and 43 would be the record. He said a mini breakout year like the Kings. And what would it take to improve by 30 wins? Uh, and then he said that would be what it would take to fight for the eighth seed. Uh, although I think that would have been the seventh seed this year. Um. That's an interesting question, Sam. Do you want to start? Uh, well, I guess you need two starting caliber players uh, at point guard and power forward, first of all. Like, not bullshit players. Uh, you know, like, I like Noah Vonley as a, as a free agent signing at power forward, but, like, not Noah Vonley. Like, you need real players at point guard and power forward, guys with tons of starting experience. That's just the bare minimum. And then if you look at Sacramento making a 20-win increase, really, that was more of an internal development thing where they got massive jumps from De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, and... Uh, and somewhat from Willie Colley Stein as well. How awesome would it be to get that De'Aaron Fox bump from uh, Josh Jackson next year? Like that is really the type of thing that could add five or ten wins right there if he could just somehow find it within himself to do it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Right now, the Suns roster it's just weighed down by a lot of these negative players. So it's just about dumping the dead weight. Devin Booker needs to improve. Obviously, DeAndre Ayton needs to improve. Mikhail Bridges, hopefully, is a better shooter next year. I don't know that he will be, but but that would be nice. Some more consistent offense from him as well. Uh, but it would take a lot to improve, especially to 49 and 33. Like That would take a huge amount. Uh, but even to go all the way 20 more wins to 39, that would also take a lot. Uh, aside from moving to the Eastern Conference, I don't know how yeah. <laughs> we jump up that many wins. I mean, I, I don't, I don't see a, a a great. No matter what we do, I don't see a, a blow. A, you know, an amazing season coming up. I think it's a an ascension season where um, 
I think our, our rebuilding years will start the show this coming season, regardless of, of what happens in the draft. Um, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be another tough season, but I definitely see an upswing here because we're going to be healthier. We're going to have some, uh, like, uh, Sam said, dropping some dead weight. I think we're going to make an improvement. I don't know if it's going to be by 20 wins. I'd love to see that. Obviously we could use 20 more wins and (laughs) probably still be out of the playoff picture, but, um, (laughs) I don't know. I think there's a lot of things. A lot of little things have to happen. There's not a whole lot of major things. And obviously, we if we draft yes. uh, Zion or Ja, um, that yeah. would probably immediately improve us ten to fifteen wins. Um, but a lot more has to happen. I'm not sure that Ja does that immediately. I think over time he's like a guarantee to improve this team dramatically. But but I you know similar to Deer and Fox in the first year, mm-hmm. it takes a little time to figure out the NBA. These guys are different. They're different kinds of athletes. They're faster. They have longer arms. It's more difficult to pass around them. There's always guys in the passing lanes. That makes it a little more difficult. Zion is the obvious one. I actually think 20 wins is a possibility to improve by 20 wins. And I think the the obvious parts are obvious. Fix the point guard and fix the power forward holes. Those are obvious. But I think the big part, and you guys both mentioned it, it's a dead weight thing. And I want to refer that back to depth. This team has no depth. And what happens when you have no depth is when injuries occur, then you don't have anybody that can step in and be even just acceptable for a short period of time. In order to improve by 20 wins and even 30 wins, you have to fill out the roster with NBA players from the top to the bottom. And the best teams, you watch them in the in the playoffs right now, the best teams have NBA guys that are good throughout the, the roster. You're not playing guys just to potentially develop them. Maybe one, maybe two at the end of your bench. But everyone else beyond that are people who have made careers in the NBA and can actually play. And they don't have to be stars, but they have to be guys that can step in when you need them and be acceptable. You know, not not a star, but acceptable in a way that actually fills a nice role. So if we could fix the end of the bench, if we could fix our depth, I think that would make a, a massive change. That means that guys that are that are playing next year that played this year really are just Devin Booker, uh, Kelly Oubre, TJ Warren, DeAndre Ayton, maybe Tyler Johnson, and maybe that's it. And, and everyone else has to be replaced. And all the minutes by everyone else has to be replaced at that point. Maybe Rashawn Holmes can stay. Uh, but that's really it. And that's the only way I think that you can improve that massively in that short of a time, uh, in my opinion. Sure. It's just so hard to replace that many players with. Exactly. Yeah. There's yeah. little amount of money. We're talking about $7 million in cap space before you make any trades. Or, or roster moves, and, and you want to replace like eight players, it's a tall order. This summer could be like the Red Wedding. I mean, we could just get rid of so many guys at this point. Hey, it's just, it's going to be a massive turnover. <laughs> it's, yeah, Sam's never watched. I forgot. Sorry. Sam, a lot of people died. <laughs> I knew that much. <laughs> you can assume. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Ha Hanky says, would you give up the chance to draft Zion oh. if John Morant would be guaranteed? This is a good one. Um, no. I would say no. Oh, okay. uh, he's, oh, and there's a little bit more of a discussion be- than that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no. Uh, no. <laughs> what, do you have anything else to say on this? Well, okay, so let's take a conservative approach with John Morant and peg his ceiling as what um, Kyle did last week, which is if John Morant three years Rondo? line becomes like an Eric Bledsoe, Jeff Teague, Mike Conley caliber point guard, where he's not a dominant all star, but he is just on the borderline. Can you build a contender around that plus Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton? I absolutely think you can. I'm, I, that was banking on yeah. the potential of DeAndre Ayton, but I think you can do that. And then you consider the fact that the expected value of the Suns pick right now, if you just play the odds, 
it's I mean, yeah, there's a 14% chance at Zion, but the most likely scenario is they get the fourth or fifth pick. And what the fuck are you going to do with that? You're going to select DeAndre Hunter? I don't know. I, I just thought this would be more of an interesting conversation, but maybe I can't persuade. Yeah, but would you do it? Would I do it? Yeah. <laughs> you laid out the case for it, but would you do it? If you were the GM of the Suns, this is purely hypothetical. There's a reason I don't make, you're not the GM. There's a reason I don't make the decision. I talk about the decisions, but you know, when push comes to shove, I don't actually have to <laughs> push the button. Heavy is the head that wears the crown, man. Yeah. No, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> you wouldn't? No. Uh, Zion is too worth it. It's just, if you get, I, you know, you, can, you guys can clearly tell how I feel about Zion based on the last few I'm questions gathering, yeah. that we've gotten. Can I get information about who Zion would go to? Like, it depends. Like, if Zion's going to go to an Eastern Conference team, then yeah, maybe I'd do it. But if Zion's going to go in the West, fuck <laughs> that. All right, next question. Japanese pairs, one, two, three. He said, forget about Zion and Ja. That's going to be difficult for me. Uh, let me see the worst possible outcomes for this team <laughs> and the most expected outcome of the offseason. Starting power forward, race, balding. <laughs> 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 I didn't do any research for this one because what do, I mean, I the worst to. possible outcome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The worst possible outcome is, is you know, kind of like that 2011, 2012 uh, team where they just signed a bunch of non-replacement level players to replace like Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire and it was season? a garbage team. Yes, oh. Louis Scola, Josh Childress, Vince, old Turkulu. Vince Carter without trying, Turkoglu, Hakeem Morik, Gortat, and it still won more more games than this team won I last year. But, uh, <laughs> they're pros. I, I mean, to, they're pros. They, they, they actually play in the NBA, but yeah, that, that's the kind of, you know, just not getting any, any guys, not fixing the power forward problem, not pick, yeah. fixing the point guard problem. I just don't see that happening. I think a more realistic uh, outcome is like Darren Collison and Thad Young, and I would like that, to be honest. I think that would improve this team massively. I would like that. Yeah, I'm just worried about like Tyler Johnson stays the starting point guard. They shove TJ in as the starting power forward on opening night, even though you can't do that. And then you draft like RJ Barrett or Jared Culver and have absolutely no oh. minutes for either one of those guys uh, because they're stuck yeah. behind a lot of wings. Yeah. What a depressing scenario. Yep. <laughs> yeah, let's move on to the next one. <laughs> RPG03 said, assuming he's not fired beforehand, what will Igor have to do next season to keep his job with the Suns? What kind of record will he need to have? Uh, player growth, etc. cetera. Uh, what do you think, Tiz, do? I think you'll have to have an endorsement from the players. I mean, if, if it's not an amazing uh season record wise i think um the players would have to get his back like they have to be buying into his system he has to still not have lost the locker room as they say um i just want to see any sort of i I believe there's going to be an uptick anyway but it has to be significant enough to where it's like all right yeah this guy is taking us in the right direction if we're just spinning our wheels and maybe we win five or six ten more games because of just the talent upgrade uh, I, I I see him perhaps being on a chopping block, unfortunately. Who fucking knows with coaching, man? I mean, Dwayne Casey got fired. Yeah. Uh, Dave Yeager just got fired. Like, yeah. you know, and who knows with Robert Sarver? That's the other thing. Yeah. I, we also don't even know how James Jones feels about Igor because it wasn't his hire. I think uh, from what I've heard, they're on the same page. I, here's the thing. Uh so so much what we can't do is give him an excuse <laughs> and i'm not putting this on igor but what what we gave him this year 
for a guy who came in as as someone who supposedly is like an offensive genius to give him not competent guard play up and down the roster and then force him to play guys like Josh Jackson consistently and you know D'Anthony Melton for all of his defensive capabilities is, is a massively flawed player and Elia Kobo who the speed of the game is way too fast for him mm-hmm. there's just too many excuses built in there where it's very, very difficult to judge how good of a job he's done. I think there's things that you can point out that he's done well. Uh, players that have improved in interesting ways. Of course, there's TJ Warren. Josh Jackson's shot improved. Uh, DeAndre Ayton got better every month of the season. You know, there's there's reasons to be excited about what he's done, but I think there's a lot of negatives as well. But so many of those negatives can be blamed on the roster construction. So what I hope for is a uh, relatively competent roster at the least and a good roster at the very, very best, albeit young still because we still got to play Aiton, we still got to play Booker um, and and Mikhail Bridges, of course. And I just hope that we have that in place so that we can actually see what we have in Igor because I think it's really difficult to actually make a judgment at this point. And, uh, you know, everyone has a really strong opinion on him. And I think they're all kind of full of shit because <laughs> we don't really know. This team was uh, healthy for a couple games <laughs> last season where we were just firing in all cylinders. We looked pretty damn good. We had a stretch of wins um, a couple times and it was just a, a, a good team running his plays. So I think when we're all healthy and um, everyone has their roles defined, I think he'll do OK with us. Yeah. So no riding any unicycles and we should be OK. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Tax Collector uh, on Reddit said, if by some trickery the Suns were able to get LeBron this last offseason, how much better of a season would we be, or how much better of a season would we have had than the Lakers had if we cleared cap space, somehow landed Durant? Lots of hypotheticals in this one. (laughs) Uh, But I just want to (laughs) say... He said, are we one superstar away from the Western Conference? This is all hypotheticals. What if LeBron was on the Suns? I think that's that's the important part about this question. And um, I will say it's so much better of a fit for LeBron than L.A. was. Oh, yeah. But L.A. could have been a really great fit if they would have just kept Julius Randle, if they would have just kept Brooke Lopez, if they would have just kept D'Angelo Russell, they would have been an awesome fit for him. And he would have been really great on that team. Uh, but the idea of a, a big like DeAndre Ayton is the type of big that LeBron loves to play with. Guys that can set massive screens and can catch the ball up high and just... just Put it in the basket. Like, that's a perfect fit uh, for LeBron. And then, of course, Devin Booker, we know how good he is at shooting off the ball. That's a great fit. He also loves a guard that can take the ball and run some plays so that he can take some breaks offensively. That's Devin Booker. It's the perfect kind of fit for him. And then, of course, Mikhail Bridges, another great fit next to LeBron, a guy who doesn't need the ball, uh, wants a low usage rate, but can take some of the best players on the other teams defensively. It would have been a really great fit. I think the, the Suns would basically are guaranteed to make the playoffs with LeBron James on this team, even if nothing else changed. You know, all the all the rest of those hypotheticals. Um, but that's that's basically how I feel. Sam, what do you think? Can I just say I, I was forced to look it up right now, and the Lakers went nine and eighteen without LeBron this year, which is on pace yeah. to win a lot more games than we won. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I necessarily buy it. Like. Theoretically, I buy what you're saying. I, I like the fit with Aiden. I like the fit with Booker. But at the end of the day, the shooting uh, still wouldn't be there with the role players. And I just don't know how it would have all come together. I, I wouldn't be willing to guarantee that we would have won more games than the Lakers uh, at all, unfortunately. It would have been interesting uh, having him here as opposed to the Lakers because when he got there, almost immediately, it seemed like he had taken issue with a lot of the young Lakers. And they found themselves 
uh, immediately part of trade rumors, and that obviously damaged the chemistry over there. So I'm wondering if that would have happened in Phoenix or if they would all would have gotten along. And because obviously chemistry is a huge part of our team right now. Um, I can't imagine having such a big polarizing superstar coming in and kind of shaking that up for better or worse. I don't know. I think maybe it probably would have been a better fit just uh, like I said, chemistry wise, but I don't know if we would have won more games. Who knows? That's a tough one. To that point, actually, the Suns probably could have had a better offer to get Anthony Davis on the team if, if that were something that they were still trying to do in this hypothetical yeah. with DeAndre Ayton as the building block yeah. for the Pelicans. Actually, that, that this team could have ended up... Yeah, so, so that's another option there. Um, so maybe the chemistry wouldn't have gotten as bad. I, I think that, you know, they, they weren't good, actually, uh, to, to the point you were making. They were 9-18 and 18 without LeBron, but when LeBron came back, they were still pretty garbage. It, they weren't good after he came back from injury. Maybe that's because he wasn't... Uh, fully healthy but i think a lot of it also had to do with the fact that nobody liked lebron after that (laughs) he's back to being the villain Um, again so yeah um but he retired so that's pretty sad uh the next one is jaw rule he said let's say we (laughs) jaw rule (laughs) j-a-w-l rule let's say we have the option of getting either mike conley or drew holiday in a trade for the same package not taking contracts into account or other non-basketball factors, would you prefer the Suns to... Who would you prefer the Suns to get as a better fit? Um, interesting question. I have some thoughts that actually I didn't expect to have once I started really looking at this, but uh, Sam, what do you think? Conley might be the better fit from a basketball perspective because he spaces the floor uh, and, and is just a better point guard in, in the pure sense of the word. But I think when you take into account those things like contract and age, it has to be Drew Holiday. So I don't really know how I would answer this question. I guess Conley is the better fit purely from a basketball perspective, but I would still rather target Holiday first. I'm kind of the same, uh, the, the same way. I think Mike is a better basketball player, but the age and the money uh, kind of make them 50-50 for me. Um, I like Drew a lot, but I think Mike Conley is a better player. But I think Drew's age would probably make him a little more attractive but that just brings it to a 50 50 for me i'd be pretty happy with either one of them yeah so when i was looking at this part of the problem uh for me was the idea that they're the same package for each guy because paying for drew holiday and paying for mike conley you should be paying more for drew holiday he's younger his contract is longer you like mike conley is a guy that you shouldn't be paying the same amount for in a trade uh, because he's older and, and the chances of him being injured or not really playing out the rest of that contract are a lot higher than a guy like Drew Holiday. So that part ruins it for Mike Conley. But really, my first thought was Drew Holiday is a better fit because he's bigger and younger. But really, as I looked at it, Mike Conley really is kind of the perfect kind of point guard for this team. Really great at running pick and rolls, a great shooter. His shooting has gotten really, really great in the in the past few years, and he's the type of floor spacer that would work really well. He's good off the ball. He's also a great defender. Um, basically all this stuff with Drew Holiday except a, a better shooter and a more competent point guard just as a, as, a, as a guy who can run the offense for a team. So really, if you just looked at it in a vacuum next season, if both guys could stay healthy, yeah, Mike Conley would probably be better. But if you're giving up assets and the same assets for either guy, uh, Drew Holiday is the guy that you got to target, especially because um, he's younger. That's That's the main thing there. Any other thoughts on that one? I think like uh, I think Mike might be not on the decline, but he's closer to exiting his prime than being in his 
Right? Yeah. So, and Drew. I think it's fair to say he's on his dec- on the decline okay, at this point. That, that in front of me, but I mean, he's thirty one years old. I, you can't do it forever. They're yeah. not all LeBrons. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair thing to say. Sam, any other thoughts? No, I think you basically nailed it on this one. All right. Well, that's all of the questions. We got through all of them. So shout out to Reddit. Thank you, everyone, for giving us these questions. Thank you, Tizdu, so much for joining us. It's been a fun time to have a conversation with you, to really hear your voice for the first time. I guess technically you called in and left a voicemail once before, right? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, but now you're hearing it a little clearer, so enjoy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Anyways, thank you for joining us. Um, Stick around. We'll be back soon with an episode next week. We're hoping to get some videos up in the next few weeks, too. We have an idea for the summer for our YouTube channel. If you haven't checked it out, please subscribe. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at The Timeline Pod. And my Twitter account, Sam's Twitter account, are there as well. Check out our Jared Dudley video. That that video might pass 200,000 plays. I, I, I really can't believe this is happening. For those who haven't seen it, it's a compilation of Jared Dudley basically getting in fights when he was on the Suns. So shout out to Jared Dudley. Thanks everyone for listening. I got to keep on walking on the road to Zion Hey, we got to keep it burning on the road to Zion Clean on your meditation without a doubt. Don't make them take you like who them took out. You just wrapped up another episode of The Timeline. I love this podcast. And if you're like me, you want as much Suns content as possible. That's why I listen to The Timeline every week. So if you want to go ahead and hear some more Phoenix Suns content, go ahead and listen to The Solar Panel, a Phoenix Suns show. We are available on Spotify, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. Anywhere that you listen to podcasts, go ahead and check out The Solar Panel, a Phoenix Suns show. Hey guys, it's Mike. As you know, I adopted my pup Rocky from a local rescue. Now, when people ask me what kind of dog Rocky was, I was always stumped. I used an Embark Dog DNA test to decode my most puzzling questions about Rocky. You can also learn about your dog's inner secrets with Embark, the highest rated dog DNA test. Unlock over 350 breeds and screen for over 200 genetic health risks. Save $50 on a breed and health kit with promo code KIT at EmbarkVet.com. Again, that's promo code KIT. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.